0: Let's take God's word this morning as we continue our study through the book Gospel of Luke. This morning we come to chapter 18, the end of it, verses 31 down to verse number 43 is our text of Luke 18, 31 down to verse number 43. Uh, Let us read this together. I just ask that you would stand if you're able out of reverence for God's word as we uh, read it together this morning. Luke is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And he says this, and taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him glorifying God and all the people when they saw it gave praise to God let's go to the Lord together in prayer father we ask this morning that you indeed who are able to give sight to the blind would give us sight to see your word this morning Lord, that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit as your word is living and active. You know our frame, you know our every need, you know us intricately. And so Father, we pray that you would take your word and that you would press it deep into us this morning, that we may be changed that we may grow ever more like our savior, Jesus. And father, like this blind beggar, we come seeking your mercy. It's in the name of Christ, our savior, we pray, amen. We may be seated. Today in the gospel of Luke, we come to a turning point of sorts in this book where we see Jesus coming ever closer to his goal of the city of Jerusalem, ultimately to the cross. Luke gave us this as a marker back in chapter 9, verse number 51, where he said, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. From that point on in the book, Jesus, and even before then, of course, but here he was on a mission. He knew what lied before him. He knew where he was going. He was going to the cross. He was going to Jerusalem, the city where he would be crucified. And he was determined to go die on the cross for the sins of the church. This is what drove him. This is what pushed him in his ministry. And so in our text today, we see Jesus pulling his disciples aside to clearly communicate with them what was going to happen in the next few weeks, what was going to take place there as they were approaching Jericho and ultimately Jericho, which would lead to Jerusalem. So these events here are happening weeks, days before Jesus's death on the cross. And in verse 40, uh, excuse me, 35 to 43, Luke records for us the last healing miracle in this gospel. There is importance in this healing on many levels, and we'll look at those shortly when we get to it. So we're going to see in these two sections of Scripture, two aspects of Jesus, two aspects of His ministry. Two aspects of Jesus, two aspects of the king, the one who is bringing about this kingdom of God, two aspects. First aspect we see is the suffering servant, the suffering servant, verse 31 to 34. This is not the first time that Jesus had said these words, telling his disciples that he was going to suffer that he was going to go to the cross. Luke recorded Jesus telling his disciples he was going to do this back in chapter nine, verse number 22, chapter nine, verse number 44, where Jesus tells them in that place that he's going to Jerusalem and he's going to be killed. This is what is coming. This is what is happening. And Luke places this third account here as they were approaching Jerusalem and ultimately approaching the cross, and he's pulling his disciples aside from this ministry, telling them, Here is what is going to happen. A few things, four things that we see in these verses as Jesus communicates, and we see the suffering servant. A few themes that we see. The first one is a theme of fulfillment, a theme of fulfillment that word in the text there at the end of verse number 31, will be accomplished is literally will be fulfilled. Jesus came in fulfillment of prophecies, of promises, as we know from the Old Testament. He is the King. He's the one who rules in the line and lineage of King David, of whom was promised in the Old Testament to always have someone on the throne. He is the ultimate sacrifice, the once for all sacrifice, the Lamb of God who was coming to take away the sins of the world. There is so much we could say along these lines, but at least we need to see that Jesus knew what he was doing. He was coming in fulfillment of Scripture, in his person, in his work. He is the promised one. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament Scripture. He is the coming Messiah. And he was pressing this truth home to his disciples. Second theme that we see here, of course, is one of suffering, one of suffering. We see in this text, verse 32, Jesus detailing what is going to happen to him. He says, he'll be delivered over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon. After flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Jesus goes into this great detail about what lies before him. He knows what is coming in Jerusalem. The events he is wanting his disciples to know are not out of control. It would have looked that way to them. Indeed, when they were going through this, the disciples, no doubt, it looked like things were out of control of how Jesus would go through this process before Pilate, before Herod, etc., and ultimately be ushered to the cross and to crucifixion. But make no mistake about it, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew what lied, before, what lied before him. The Jews would hand him over to the Gentiles. He would go through with this process of killing him. And even notice as he says here that he will rise on the third day. We see the suffering of our savior His knowledge of that suffering, of mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon, flogged, killed. And this is the king of the universe. This is the son of God. This is the one who had no sin, who knew no sin, who would be mocked, humiliated, spit upon, tortured back ripped apart with a whip, ultimately crucified, literally nailed to wood to die a humiliating death, to hang in front of everyone, beaten, bloodied, naked, nailed to a beam of wood. And our Christ knew what was coming and what was the aspect of our Savior. What did he do for the plan of God that was on his life. Obedience, obedience. Obedience to the point of death, death on the cross. I can't help here in this section, but contrast verse number 31 with Peter and the disciples in verse number 28 from our text last week, where Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed after you. And Jesus says here, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and all these things are going to happen to me. It's as if his disciples are saying, look, Lord, we're we're giving up everything to follow after you. And Jesus says, yes, yes, see, see what your savior is also going to do. Here's what lies before him. You see suffering, suffering in this text, suffering, then glorification, suffering, death, but then resurrection. As you read through the New Testament and as you follow Christ for any length of time, you will know that suffering is a normal part of Christianity. It is something that we should expect. Suffering is not something that should surprise us. If you were to sit in one of our church history classes that we go through during our equip hour on Sunday mornings, you will see there have been brothers and sisters of Christ, every generation, every generation that have suffered for the faith. They have suffered because they have believed in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and who He is and what He has done. That is true in our own day, of course. It is true to one degree or another We are promised that in this world, we will have trouble, right? But we know that is not the end of the story, but we need to realize that that will happen. happen. Suffering is not something abnormal in the life of a Christian. For believing in Jesus Christ and how that will hit other people and how that will affect your life, sometimes negatively. That is not something new. We see it in the life of our Savior as he came in a life of suffering and to suffer in this life and ultimately on the cross. This leads to the third theme here of confusion in the text. Almost somewhat, I think a little bit comically here, but they understood none of these things right you ever poured your heart out to somebody before and they just kind of sit there with glassy eyes looking at you as what what did you say I don't know maybe this is a word of encouragement for all you teachers there or mothers teaching your children something and you pour it out to them and then they just kind of look I don't understand a thing that you were said maybe the Lord was withholding it from them I don't know but here are the disciples in this text Jesus says this what is their response They didn't understand, they didn't grasp how these things could be true or even that they would come about. Remember, it was Peter in Matthew chapter 18 after he made the great confession that Jesus is the Christ. And then basically he said to Jesus, uh, may this suffering that you just talked about, may it never happen to you. And then he goes from here way down to here and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That type of thinking is from Satan. So they didn't grasp This concept of a suffering King, a crucified King was not two words that they would be able to put together. And we see that here in this text, but notice in this verse two, we see a glimpse of how divine sovereignty and human responsibility go hand in hand. It's like a divine sovereignty and human responsibility sandwich. In the middle, you say, they don't understand. They don't understand. And right there in the middle of the meat is this saying was hidden from them. They literally didn't understand it in their brains, they couldn't comprehend it, yet God at the same time kept it from them. Same concept, different side of the coin is recorded and you see this uh, throughout scripture as you're just reading scripture. In Second 2 Timothy 2.7 where Paul is exhorting Timothy to be a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And he says, think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. You see their human responsibility and divine sovereignty both coming together. Same thing that we see happening here in this passage. They did not understand and God had kept them from understanding at this time. But why would Jesus tell them something that they were not going to understand or didn't understand? Think about it. It was so that after the fact, After the fact, they could remember what Jesus had told them. They could remember what he said and God would use that in their lives that they might have certainty concerning the things they had been taught about Jesus. Jesus calls his shot here three times before he takes it so that they will know after the fact this was according to the plan and purposes of God. And that's exactly what we see happening. Just flip over really quickly to Luke chapter 24. Just get a glimpse of this. Luke 24, verse 44 to 47. Say this, then he said to them, this is after he's risen from the dead, which he said he would be. And after he was raised, he went and met with the disciples. He appeared to them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you You see, Jesus is who he says he is. He can fulfill what he has come to do. He told his disciples multiple times, three times more, people count more of them here as you go through the gospels, but three times he told his disciples, I'm going to go, it's leading to crucifixion and I'm gonna be raised from the dead. And they just had no concept of this. But think about after the fact, when Jesus, from raised, when Jesus was raised from the dead, And how the faith of disciples would all of a sudden be spring, their eyes would be open and they would be like, he has already told us he would be raised from the dead three times. Why didn't we get that? Why didn't we understand that? This is who he says he is. Jesus has done this. So their faith would just be encouraged and solidified. And that same thing should be there for us today. Jesus is who he says he is. He has been raised from the third day. He said it before he went through it. And so our faith likewise, like the disciples, like his followers should be encouraged and solidified knowing that Jesus said this is going to happen and that is exactly what happened. This leads right into the fourth theme in these verses and that is certainty, certainty. There is no doubt that the cross suffering resurrection were the plan and doing of Almighty God. The verbs bear this out in these verses will be accomplished, will be delivered, will be mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon, will kill him, will rise. You see, God is bringing about his sovereign plan of salvation. God is sovereign over the suffering of the innocent one, Jesus, and we can take comfort that God is still sovereign today. He is still working out his plan of salvation amidst all the gunk, the suffering, the sin, the sorrow of this vapor we call life on this fallen earth. God is over it all. He is sovereign over it. He is bringing about his plan and is accomplishing it. We can trust him. He is in control. Praise him for how he brought forth the way of salvation through Jesus Christ, this suffering servant. We see certainty all throughout these verses of Jesus pulling his disciples aside saying, this is what is going to happen. This is what we're doing. I'm going to Jerusalem. Here's what's going to happen to me. I'm telling you this beforehand. He could have gone ahead and said that, they wouldn't have gotten it anyway. I'm telling you this beforehand so that after the fact, you will know for certain I am who I say I am. Jesus came to suffer to die on the cross. He knew exactly what lied before him and our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ, set his face to go to the cross to die for our sins. He is the suffering servant who has come for us. A second aspect of his kingdom and ministry is this, the compassionate king. The Compassionate King, verse thirty-five and following. Uh, as mentioned, this is the last recorded healing in Luke's gospel. Uh, he records for us what happened just outside Jericho. Jericho was a city about seventeen miles north uh, east of Jerusalem. It would have been common for beggars to uh, be out seeking help in this busy, high traffic area especially as the Passover was drawing near. So Jerusalem's number was starting to swell with people as they were coming to celebrate Passover. And Jericho was one of the feed cities that would be feeding this uh, uh, town of Jerusalem. So people would be traveling through on their way. And this beggar that Luke tells us about was a blind man. We don't know how long this man had been in this condition, maybe from birth, we're not told, but he's on the side of the road asking for money, asking for help as people came by. And this is very common. And and by the way, something that pious Jews would certainly do is give money to those in this condition. So a, a pious Jew, in particular, Pharisees and others uh, there would be a blind person begging on the road. No doubt they would come by and they would give them, give them money as they were uh, begging. There's no other means uh, for this type of person to have anything. There's no, no social programs or anything to help these folks out. It was all on the shoulders of the people and so they would, they would give. And Luke tells us that this certain blind beggar hears a crowd of people so you, you can see the scene, he's there, he hears uh, a crowd of people coming, and so he says in verse number 37 there, when he asked what was going on, they told him Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And this is where we learn something about this blind beggar. He already knew about Jesus, he had already heard of him, no doubt this man uh, had heard of Jesus healing others, how Jesus had cast out demons, how he had fed thousands of people miraculously. He'd heard these things. And so this blind man began to cry out in verse number 38, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't know where Jesus was. Right, he heard the commotion of all the people walking by, he heard the crowd going and in verse 39, we see those in the crowd, maybe those who were in front of Jesus leading the way and they rebuked him. Maybe Jesus is coming and they rebuked him, said to be silent, shh, quiet. The people in the crowd probably looked at the guy who told him it was Jesus and said, way to go, man. You need to get this guy all riled up. Quiet, shh, Jesus is coming. Just just be quiet, you're getting alms, just, just be quiet. Here comes Jesus, this is important. But what was the blind man's response? Well, as we see, he cried out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Probably over and over and probably very loudly. This man is crying out. Picture a blind man, probably sitting, probably kneeling, probably on the side of the road, hauling out, yelling, son of David, have mercy on me. He didn't know where Jesus was. Has he gone? Has he already passed by? Is he not there yet? And picture this from Jesus's ears. He's probably talking and teaching. We know there's a crowd. There's a large crowd around Jesus. They're getting closer to the town. People are talking to them, and then you can hear this Man yelling over top of everybody, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's on the way to Jerusalem. What does he do? And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. I would imagine Jesus probably told the people that told the guy to shush it. Hey, why don't you go get him and bring him here? And when he came near, he asked him, Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Now, why does Luke record this passage and why does he put it where he puts it in this gospel as they're getting ready to go to Jerusalem? At least two answers to that. Number one, Jesus is commending this man's confession. Jesus is commending this man's confession. They told this blind beggar that Jesus of Nazareth was approaching and his response was immediately, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He addressed Jesus as son of David. This is important because it is a messianic title. He is acknowledging that this person is the one appointed by God to come and fulfill prophecy from the Old Testament. He is the anointed one, he's the son of David that is to sit on the throne. This flows right along with a thought from the previous verses that Jesus came to fulfill and accomplish everything that had been written about him by the prophets. Jesus is the coming king, he is the greater son of David. It was earlier in Luke's gospel in the town of Nazareth, where Jesus went to synagogue on the Sabbath day. And the scroll of Isaiah was given to him. This is Luke chapter four. Jesus took the scroll and scrolled it. Original scrolling, right? He Took the scroll, he scrolled it. And here's Luke recording verse 17 of chapter four. And the scroll, And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This healing of the blind beggar is more than just a healing with no further meaning or application. This healing is pointing to who Jesus was and what he came to do. Jesus has come to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, liberty to those who are oppressed. Jesus has done these things in his ministry. And this is the last miracle Luke records for us. He's drawing near to Jerusalem, healing the blind. An irony of irony It's the blind man in the text who clearly saw who Jesus was. It's the blind man who could actually see. And so Jesus is here commending this man's confession, his confession of who he is. He is the prophesied one, the savior who is to come. Secondly, Jesus is commending this man's faith. He's commending his faith. This man didn't ask Jesus for money. He didn't ask Jesus for food, that's what he would be asking other people. He had faith in who Jesus was and in what Jesus could do. He believed that Jesus had power to heal. This faith in Jesus was already present in the life of this blind beggar because boom, in an instant, all of a sudden, He heard it's Jesus of Nazareth and immediately, immediately coming out of his lips, son of David, have mercy on me. This man already believed in Jesus. It's like a tube of toothpaste. You squeeze it. What's going to come out? Well, whatever's inside is going to come out, right? Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not. This man believed in Jesus. He heard that he was there. What immediately? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The brine beggar was bought before Jesus, and Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Now, it's not because Jesus didn't know. Jesus knew what this man want. He is getting him to speak in faith for all to hear, asking this question to draw out his faith in him. He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus responds, receive your sight your faith has made you well different translations interpret that phrase has made you well differently most go along with the ESV but the word is literally saved your faith has saved you and translators have to decide are we going to say heal are we going to say saved well, that's the point. That's what Jesus is doing. Re- recover your sight. Your faith has saved you. Jesus has already used this word in such a confusing fashion to us, but it's not confusing to him in Luke's gospel. The woman who suffered a discharge of blood that came to Jesus, remember, and touched his garment. Jesus said to her, your faith has saved saved you, translations will say healed, your faith has saved you. It was Mary uh, Magdalene as she came and and cleansed uh, Jesus' feet with her tears, that's where Jesus said, literally there was no healing, but he said, your faith has saved you to her. In chapter 17, verse 19, uh, remember the one leper that returned to Jesus after they had been healed, Jesus said to that man, your faith has saved you, just like here. These people had faith in who Jesus was and Jesus gave them more than just physical healing. Gave them something way more important than physical healing. He gave them spiritual healing as well. Salvation far greater than any physical need that we might have. Jesus is commending to us the faith of this blind person who was begging His plea was simple, have mercy on me. Jesus, give me what I do not deserve. Give me what I could not earn. Lord, give me mercy. In fact, contrast and compare this blind man's coming to Jesus with the rich young ruler from last week's text, just before this text. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Whereas the blind beggar on the side of the street said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The rich ruler said, what must I do? And Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? Totally, totally different approach to Jesus, what do you, where Jesus asks, what do you want me to do? to you ever say, Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? No, our plea is mercy. And Jesus is commending this type of faith here, a faith that believes who he is and what he has come to do. And I ask you this morning a simple question, why did this blind man cry out for Jesus? Why did he cry out for Jesus? Because he saw what others could not see. He saw Jesus for who he was. He saw Jesus for who Jesus was. And that same truth echoes out for us today. Do you see Jesus for who he is? Do you understand that he is the son of God? Do you see that Jesus came to die on the cross for your sins? If if you're here this morning and you've not trusted in Jesus, see from this text that Jesus is the promised savior. God has provided him. Jesus is the fulfillment of scripture. He is the one, only Jesus can save. And listen, he is strong enough to save. He was raised on the third day. The Bible clearly teaches he died as our substitute to bear in his body on the cross, our sin to pay the debt. He is able to save. I mean, look, Jesus healed this blind man with a word, a word, a single word. Jesus spoke it, see. It's what he said to this man, see. And this blind man saw. What type of authority is that? I ask you all the intricacies of the eyes, the connections, the firing of things to the brain, all that that goes on, Jesus spoke one word and it all started working again. One word. See his power, his authority over all things. Jesus could speak to the wind. We've seen it in the gospel of Luke. He speaks to the wind, the wind obeys. He speaks to the sea, the waves. They listen to him. He has authority over sickness and heal sickness. He called a dead man out of the grave. Jesus is able to save. This man saw Jesus for who he is. I ask you today, do you see Jesus for who he truly is? So when you see him for who he is, you will cry out for him to give you salvation that only he can give to you. You see him for who he is, your life changes response is, him, He is our Savior, cry out to Him, He will surely do it. Jesus will save. Come to Him, asking Him for mercy. He will save. I was overwhelmed this week, in particular, by three words from this passage. I don't know why, it just smacked me. In verse number 40, in the midst of all of this, this man is crying out, and we have these three words, and Jesus stopped. Jesus is going on, going to, mind you, he's going to be crucified, tortured, crucified. And he's on the way there with the disciples and off in the distance you could hear this man pleading, son of David, have mercy on me. And what does Jesus do? He stopped, full stop, stop. I'm on my way to be killed, but stop. Here is a man who has faith calling out for mercy to me. I will stop, bring this man right here. He's gonna be an example for all of you people to see. You're the rich man, you heard about this guy, you saw what happened to them. I'm gonna show you a positive response right here. Bring this blind beggar that is able to see, bring him to me. I'm gonna set up an example of faith and here it is in this man. Jesus stopped and Jesus is so merciful that Jesus hears our prayers as we cry out for mercy to Him, that He stops and listens. And He comes to us in our weakness. Jesus is commending this type of activity on our part, crying out to Him for mercy, seeing Him for who He is. Listen, Jesus will heal, He will hear you, He will come to you and save you. Have faith in Him. This is our Savior. This is our king. If you are following after him, I hope that we can all see from this text. Look, you are on the right path. You're on the right path. This path can be difficult. This path has its ups. This path has its downs. This path has its temptations, its pitfalls. It it, it has all of these types of things. The life that we live, seeking to live in obedience to Jesus. But listen, that's the right path. Realize afresh today, this is who you're following. This Jesus, this is who we worship. This is who we come after. This is the one worthy to leave all and follow after him. Jesus is worthy of us giving up and dying to ourselves and fighting the Christian fight in the weary struggle of putting to death the things of the flesh that are always welling up within us and seeking to bring to life the things of the spirit that we pray and strive for, asking God to do a mighty work within us, that fight is worth it. You're on the right path of salvation. Jesus is who he says he is. See him for who he is. It's so fitting that this passage ends in worship. Verse 43, and immediately he recovered his sight. Again, <laughs> no two ways about it. Jesus says, see, boom, you see. He recovered his sight and he followed him. That's, that's good discipleship language that Luke is picking up on there. He received him, he followed Jesus, he followed after him. This man could now see and is on his way to Jerusalem with King Jesus, followed Him, glorifying God. How fitting, they're glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Right, there's no, nothing about it. Good job, blind man, I can, way to go. Don't let the pressure, uh, you know, the pressure of the people keep you away from Jesus. You did a good job, buddy. Right? No, that's not what they were doing after this with the blind man. They God for what he's done. He has had mercy. Oh, God is the only one to be glorified because he's the only one who's done it. He gave this man mercy. God is to be praised. God is to be glorified. He is merciful. He has saved. He has brought salvation through Jesus Christ. And Luke is holding up this text for us. We'll continue on chapter 19 and following and a couple more is going to see with Zacchaeus parable of the 10 minus and then we're triumphal entry. Then we're on our way in Jerusalem and all the events as we're going to see in the next chapters that happened. But as we're going that way, turning, Jesus pulled his disciples aside, told them, look, this is what is coming. And here is an example of faith. Here's an example of faith who sees me for who I am and understands rightly that I am who I say I am and come to me in this way. It is fitting that this passage ends in praise. Praise God for sending Jesus Christ to do what he has done for us. Will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you this morning for your word and how your word points us to the Magnificence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who hears the pleas for mercy. Oh God, have mercy on us through Jesus Christ, we pray. Father, we ask that you would help us in our lives. Father, help us follow you. Lord, from this text this morning, would you help us, Father, see you for who you are. Help us see Jesus for who he is, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who is able to save and is worthy to follow. Lord, we will give you all the praise for you have done it all. It's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.